Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yes, what's up? It's Shira. Ryan is out. Shar is here with me all week long. Yes, and it's hump day, middle of it the week. It is. It's also Mar- Martha P. Johnson's birthday. Marsha. Marsha. Yeah, I was like, Who Martha? is Martha, girl? <laughs> Sorry, this was written and I was like, yes, yeah, <laughs> saying it. Marsha P. Johnson, the leader, really, and, and where it all started with the Stonewall Uprising mm. and pride as we know it. Yeah, Marsha would have been 77 today. So happy wow. birthday, Marsha P. Johnson. Wild to think about. Um, yeah, sure. I had quite the night last night. After work, I oh. jetted over to a junket for yes. Me Time, a film called Me Time. If you like like those hijinks films like a The Hangover and things mm-hmm. of that vein, then you'll probably enjoy this. It's, it's coming out on Netflix Friday. It stars Kevin Hart, Mark Wahlberg, and Regina Hall. I interviewed all three of them. I love Regina Hall. Oh, gosh. Who doesn't? Is, it, a, is she as nice in person as she is? Yeah, she's great. Yeah. And her outfit... I asked her who made it. It was like a black designer, but her outfit I would wear for my birthday. It was so good. But I talked to all three of them, and that was my first time. I've talked to Kevin and Regina before, but that was my first time talking to Mark Wahlberg. Look at you. He's very soft-spoken, and I was expecting him to be a bit taller. He's like my height. I'm 5'9", for those listening. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was quite the night. Do you like doing junkets? Well, I enjoy junkets. I don't really enjoy red carpets. That was a red carpet. Oh, it was red carpet. I did a junket this morning for Queen Sugar on OWN. Can't even keep up. Listen, Char is working, okay? Okay, We're working. A single mom. What's the Reba song? (laughs) Who loves her kids and never stops. (laughs) Oh, well, we have a lot of things to celebrate today. Besides you being a working mom. Biden's (laughs) canceling some student loan debt. Yes today. We'll be sharing more in a moment. And a study that shows the amount of LGBTQ plus folks who aren't comfortable being out at work. Yeah. That is also uh, later on at, I want to give you the exact time at 2.35 p.m. Pacific, uh, 5.35 p.m. Eastern. All right, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Headlines right now. North Carolina health officials became the first to implement a new health and human services pilot program to provide monkeypox vaccines to those at risk. This weekend, the Mecklenburg Health Department began the rollout as more than 275,000 people attended events during Charlotte Pride. 
Health Department Director Dr. Reynard Washington said, This weekend, our team vaccinated roughly 540 individuals who met the current high-risk eligibility criteria here in North Carolina, bringing our total administered here in Mecklenburg County to 3,300. And, of course, let's talk about the debt, the big news today. President Biden finally announced what he is doing for student loan debt. Mm. Using the authority Congress granted the Department of Education, we will forgive $10,000 in outstanding federal student loans. In addition, students who come from low-income families, which allowed them to qualify to receive a Pell Grant, will have their debt reduced $20,000. Both of these targeted actions are for families who need it the most. Working and middle-class people hit especially hard during the pandemic, making under $125,000 a year. Well, the White House estimates that nearly 90 percent of relief will go to people earning less than 75000 and that roughly 20 million borrowers could have their debt completely canceled. Yeah, I've seen a conversation rattle up about this, about people who, you know, out earn those those parameters because typically they've done more formal education, which means they have a bigger bill. And they're like, well, where's my, you know, where's my bailout, so to speak? And some of those people are doing the most service in our communities, like doctors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They do the, the more formal education. Mm-hmm. Which, which is inherently a fatter bill. Yep. Well, that was what's trending this hour. More about that uh, student loan debt uh, forgiveness next hour. But what's happening in the tea? Oh, my goodness. Friday is going to be such a big day. Elton John was down at Con at a, at a restaurant. You know, Elton's down there running his mouth and spinning records. And he treated everyone at this restaurant to a sneak peek of his new collaboration featuring the one, the only, Britney Jean Spears of Kentwood, Louisiana. It's Hold Me Closer, and take a listen to the sneak peek. Britney Spears! Imagine imagine you're hanging out at this restaurant in Cannes. You know, not everyone can do that, but imagine you are doing that. And then Elton John is there at like the DJ booth doing this. Well, I mean, you got to be in the mood. Sometimes I ain't got to get in the mood for all that riffraff and extra noise. But nevertheless, uh, the the track starts with Spears singing the first few lines of The One and eventually has her transitioning into the iconic chorus of Tiny Dancer. It's upbeat. I'm sure we'll be playing it at some point here at Channel Q or maybe at your local spot. I'm just excited for Britney to come on back. That's the T-Report for this hour. Stick around because next hour, I got something to tell you about Sylvester Stallone. Yes, that Sylvester Stallone. It's not looking too good for him, so stick around. Yikes. All right, well, next up, one in three American women have already lost abortion access. The more restrictive laws that are coming next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Two months after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, about 20.9 million women have lost access to nearly all elective abortions in their home states. And there's a bunch of strict new trigger laws expected to take effect in the coming days. National Health Reporter and the Health 202 Newsletter anchor Rachel Rubin is back with us. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I mean, this is really terrifying. As mentioned in the article in the Washington Post, Texas, Tennessee, Idaho all have existing restrictions on abortion. But there's new laws even coming um, through beginning tomorrow that's going to outlaw the procedure entirely or heighten penalties for doctors who perform the abortions. Tell us more. 
So the three states you mentioned are the ones where trigger bans are slated to go into effect tomorrow. So in Tennessee, the state will shift from a ban uh, when fetal cardiac activity has been detected, which is roughly around six weeks in pregnancy, uh, and shift to an almost complete ban on abortion. In Idaho, there's a similar situation, but it's worth noting that the Department of Justice has filed a lawsuit against the state's trigger ban, which would be a near total ban on the procedure. And a federal judge said he'd issue his opinion by today. Now, we haven't yet seen that opinion, but I'm keeping my eyes out for it. In Texas, the state uh, almost immediately outlawed abortion after the Supreme Court's decision that the trigger ban looming tomorrow will make providing an abortion a first degree felony and raise civil penalties for doing so. Yeah, I know a common rhetoric that's been spewed is that abortion will not stop. It's just access to safe abortions will. I'm interested in knowing um, you kind of laid it out for us with those three states. But as far as like, you know, crossing state lines and and seeking health care and even privacy concerns, do we know where things stand as far as this is concerned when it comes to abortion access? So abortion access definitely depends in the state where a person lives. So right now there's uh, roughly 20.9 million women who have lost access to nearly all elective abortions in their home state. So some would be traveling, trying to travel to other states if they're able to for the procedure. Uh, kind of the, the zooming out, the wide lens is that roughly 14 states have banned most abortions since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Now, five more states have restrictions that have been temporarily blocked by the court. And I know that President Biden and his administration has been trying to do some things in between, like the time that this happened and now. Has anything actually worked? And like, what is actually being upheld? So just in general, the... Abortion rights movement has had several different strategies that they're working on. Um, And the Biden administration has put out certain guidance in terms of saying that uh, providers and doctors need to perform abortions in the case of uh, medical emergencies. That's guidance we've seen from the Biden administration. But in general, the abortion rights movement has had kind of, I would say, three buckets of strategies. One, which is ballot measures that are looming in November. Two, lawsuits over states' restrictions. And three is electing politicians that support abortion has been another big thing for the abortion rights movement. Whoa. And as you mentioned, yeah, we know that abortion is like a top issue driving midterms. Well, the upcoming midterms right now. Is there any way are there any loopholes as far as 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 it pertains to? And I know that, like you mentioned, like Texas is like, no, it's a felony and people don't care whether, you know, it's been like a sexual assault or or something along those lines. But is there any glimmer of hope in any of this moving forward? Uh, Now, it's it's important to note that the landscape in terms of exceptions is different in different states. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, the bill in Idaho has 
or the trigger loss related to go into effect in Idaho tomorrow has exceptions for rape, incest in life. We've seen whether to have whether to have exceptions for rape and incest be something that has been contentious within state legislatures, even within Republican state legislatures, since Roe v. Wade has been overturned. All right, a lot to take in here, but it doesn't seem necessarily optimistic. So, um, but that was National Health Reporter in the Health 202 newsletter anchor, Rachel Rubin. Thank you again. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, coming up, a study shows that more than 50% of LGBTQ employees don't feel comfortable being out at work. Why? That's coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. More than 50% of LGBTQ plus employees are not comfortable being out at work. And listen, I have some very personal experience when it comes to this, just on a personal level. Um, Baja... Pakula, Senior Research Associate at the Social Research and Demonstration Corporation, is here to help us break it all down. Hi, Baja. Hello. So, Baja, why is it, and this may seem like the most asinine intro question, but why is it, even given everything that's going on, we've made so much progress to some, you know, Mm -hmm. socially at least when it comes to LGBTQ issues, why do people still not feel comfortable being out at work? Oh, that's a great question, and, and thank you for having me on the show. It's it's great to be able to speak more about this topic. Uh, you know, we've spent uh, just over two years conducting research here in Canada uh, about employment experiences, and what we found is some significant challenges when it comes to day-to-day experiences on the job. Um, and this is across our interviews uh, with folks we spoke to in different professions and different settings. So. Basically, what is happening, to answer your question, is that people are uh, having some very challenging experiences, such as microaggressions, misgendering, uh, people refusing to work with them, you know, uh, women in particular facing highly sexualized comments. And because of these experiences, many people really choose to withdraw from social interactions at work because they're just unsafe for them. And, And so... Uh, in short, these environments are just not really safe for people to be themselves. Mm. And there are also some really high, some, some real costs to, to, to being out, both in terms of mental health, but it also seems to wages as well. I can speak to that. Yeah. And so concealing yeah. one's identity can be kind of protective. Yeah, you mentioned this, you know, it does influence getting a job. And also there's a wage gap. Mm hmm. Yeah. So um, let me just say that, you know, in addition to just speaking to folks in interviews, we've also looked at 14 years of data from kind of large population based surveys to look at income specifically. And basically what we found is there's there um, some significant income gaps. So, for example, bisexual men and women reported annual earnings of only about half of what heterosexual men earn. So it seems that these experiences that we're hearing about that we sometimes think of as being anecdotal are kind of adding up and resulting in people having lower wages overall. So I'm talking about annual earnings um, in general. 
That is so wild to think about because, you know, you never factor that in. I know personally, as I mentioned at the top of this segment, I am a trans person and I never really, you know, vocalize that in in different workplace settings because personally I didn't Mm -hmm. find it pertinent to the job, depending on where I was at. But I'm also interested in knowing, I know that there's laws that protect LGBTQ people, but in what ways can those laws be maybe monitored? You know, because there's really no way, let's say you don't get a job because you happen to be a trans person. There's no real way to, I guess, flag that, right? Because it can be subjective. Absolutely. And you've just nailed it. And thanks for sharing your personal experience. It's very similar to what we heard across um, our interviews. It is, it's so difficult to prove discrimination. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what's interesting and what we learned is that these decisions around coming out, particularly when you apply for a job, are so daunting for people. People grapple with these decisions to disclose their identities during applications in order to gauge safety. Like, if I disclose and I work for this employer, will I be safe? Will I be supported? But that, of course, puts them at risk of discrimination, like getting lower pay or, or not even getting that job. But, you know, and even though people told us that they've experienced discriminatory, discriminatory systems, it is so hard to prove that it's linked to your identity. So mm-hmm. while, you know, um, you know, when it talks, we can talk about anti-discrimination legislation, but it is also much more nuanced than that because it happens in these kinds of interpersonal um, situations during applications, during interviews. Yeah. yeah. And in the report also looks at uh, positive experiences and recommends solutions. Can you share a bit more about what gets to be done? Absolutely. And I think that's really where the conversation should be headed is what can we do? And I want to say that this isn't just a task for employers. You know, um, we created a framework in our report we present to, to show, to better understand the, a variety of factors that influence employment experiences. So, you know, governments, community actors, employers, but also coworkers and peers all have a major role to play. We found in particular that allyship is critical um, and also, I want to add that it's, it's not just, we're talking about employment today, but we need to also talk about how it's linked to other experiences mm-hmm. that people have outside of employment. So, you know, if, if you're having a hard time accessing safe and affirmative, affirming healthcare or accessing affordable housing, these experiences are so closely linked to your ability to be successful in employment as well. And we need to look at it kind of holistically uh, as a whole. Absolutely. And even with housing and we could go into a whole other discussion once race is brought in as well. Like there's a whole bunch of different implicit biases out there. But Basha Pakula, thank you so much for joining us and helping us break this down. You're the senior research associate at the Social Research Demonstration Corporation. Shira, what's next? Well, this missing person's case stumped the police, but not these YouTubers. This is just wild. More next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. You know, it just feels like everyone's obsessed with these missing person cases or, you know, these people that get uh, that disappear or get kidnapped or, you know, horrible things happen. There's even podcasts that are focused on this. There's whole channels dedicated to true crime. I mean, and the thing is these days is if the police can't figure it out, Social media will. Yeah. Right? Do you remember what happened last September? The couple that were like social media stars? The petite, Gabby Petito. So I actually, what was crazy is I was going on an RV trip also around the same time. Mm-hmm. So not that, I mean, my boyfriend and I 
seemed to be healthy and he's not a murderer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, imagine like that. those are the headlines and me telling my mom and my parents, hey, I'm going on an RV trip with my boyfriend as all this stuff is making yeah. headlines. At any rate, what's really interesting is there's this new company that's popped up out of Oregon. It's called Adventures with Purpose. It specializes in search and recovery dives. And actually, they do it. It's not just like a private, very expensive thing. They actually earn money through donations, sponsorships, rewards, merchandise sales, online videos. Well, they've recently cracked a bunch of cases, including this recent one involving a California teenager, Keely Rodney, who'd been missing for two weeks. I mean, the police have been looking everywhere for her. Meanwhile, in less than two days, this company found... Her SUV submerged in a reservoir. Yeah, see, this is my thing. There's really no excuse. It's not like the police are underfunded. <laughs> you know, like, it's, there's really no excuse for these types of uh, haphazard, kind of careless mistakes to continue to happen. Um, I want to know why, if the police looked everywhere, why was it, why, what was their avenue of finding this so quickly? It's hard to know because they said they used equipment, expensive ones, too. They that I'm said, sure the police has access to. No, that's what the police said. Oh, okay. We used, uh, you know, it's... So authorities said, uh, we literally, people swimming in the water looking down, we were going to debrief and try to figure out how we can do better with these kind of investigations. Oh, God. They had sonar and everything. Anyway, well... <sighs> Unfortunately, you know, the result isn't a good one, but we're happy they possibly get some there sort need, of There needs to be some closure. sort of evaluation from the ground up. Right. Because that doesn't make any sense. There's no way that you can explain that to me to make it make sense. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> fascinating stuff. But coming up in What's Turning This Hour, the first Gen Zer to join Congress is just 25 years old. Will and he cute. have what it's worth to He's shake cute. it up? Yeah, next. <laughs> Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, President Biden finally made the news after months of deliberations in the White House over, you know, fairness, fears, how could it impact the midterms, that they are indeed doing some student loan debt forgiveness. Here he is earlier today. College is accountable for jacking up costs without delivering value to students. We've all heard of those schools luring students with a promise of big paychecks when they graduate, only to watch these students be ripped off and left with mountains of debt. And my predecessors looked the other way, for some reason, with good reason. All right. And of course, we'll be talking more about that in 15 minutes. Uh, we're also later this hour going to talk about COVID brain fog or just brain fog in general. Where does it come from and how to deal with it? But some more What's Trending This Hour headlines right now. There were mixed results for LGBTQ plus candidates in Tuesday's primaries in New York and Florida with a notable loss for Mondaire Jones, one of the first black gay members of Congress. Gay Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney, meanwhile, easily won the 17th District Democratic primary. A former police detective, Kelly Goodlett, admitted yesterday that she had helped mislead a judge into wrongly authorizing a raid of Breonna Taylor's apartment. Goodlett pleaded guilty in federal court to one count of conspiracy, admitting that she had worked with another officer to uh, falsify a search warrant application and had later logged to cover up their act. Goodlett became the first police officer to be convicted over the March 2020 raid. And finally, Maxwell Frost won the Democratic primary for Florida's 10th congressional district last night, virtually ensuring the 25-year-old progressive activist will become the first Gen Z member of Congress. Gen Z is here. Yeah. This is only the beginning. Here's what he had to say after his victory. Don't count us out. Don't count out young people. You know, I'm the former national organizing director for March for Our Lives, a movement that helped change the way we think about gun violence, the way we think about advocacy. And I'm going to take what I learned at March for Our Lives, take what I learned at the ACLU, bring it to Congress, but also keep it here in Florida as we build power to ensure that we can flip this state, that we can bring people together behind shared values. And that, yes, there's a young face that is doing that work, but that's okay. We need a diversity of, yes, race, yes, opinion, but also age. I mean, I'm signed up. He's great. Yeah. Good job. Maxwell Alejandro Frost. Check him out on Twitter, Maxwell Frost FL. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news? Well, Hot Mess Express, Sylvester Stallone and his wife, Jennifer Flavlin, are calling it quits. She filed for divorce after 25 years of marriage and is accusing Stallone of moving assets from marital funds. Now, this just happened last Friday when, you know, she filed those papers. Now, it's unclear exactly why she decided to pull the plug on their marriage, but some fans began speculating trouble um, thanks to a recent tattoo cover-up that Sylvester Stallone did where he had uh, her face on his arm and he just like 
covered it up. I've seen the before and after pictures. Now, I should mention that Flavlin wants exclusive domain over their house in um, Palm Beach while divorce proceedings wind their way through the courts. She made clear that she believes that Sly is hiding marital assets in these divorce docs. Now, this has been obtained by TMZ. I don't know what all he has going on or why this would drive. Like, normally, you know, we're used to irreconcilable differences or something like what is he doing is he moving like funds around i guess this will all come out what you know later because on. he doesn't want her to get any in the divorce yeah but this happened before the divorce so this maybe, is her... yeah, that's what he's it was like a flag yeah I don't know, maybe just... he was planning on leaving her so he got to move and totally. stuff around no, that's and usually what like... happens and then they figure out like oh what's happening and she was like oh no i'm about to file these papers first by the way this tattoo picture is so awkward like literally it's, it's cringy it's like her face on his shoulder and then the, you know, I don't know what he covered it up with a, a seal, dog. a puppy. No, it's his dog. Well, Jennifer wants to restore her last name, so now she's Jennifer Flavlin, and she also wants the judge to put the brakes on Sylvester Stallone, moving those assets from well, the marital pot. Yeah. That's the tier report for this hour. You want to stick around because next hour, the Kardashians are one month away from their premiere, their season two premiere on Hulu, but I got some Kim Kardashian news for you. Okay. Next up, of course, Biden announced that student debt cancellation of up to $20,000 more and how to find out, you know, how much money you can get back after this. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, President Biden finally did it. He announced student loan debt forgiveness, something that a lot of people have been waiting for. You know, there are some conditions to it. There are some limitations, but it's a pretty big deal. Here he is earlier today. Using the authority Congress granted the Department of Education, we will forgive $10,000 in outstanding federal student loans. In addition, students who come from low-income families, which allowed them to qualify to receive a Pell Grant, will have their debt reduced $20,000. Both of these targeted actions are for families who need it the most. Working and middle class people hit especially hard during the pandemic, making under $125,000 a year. Joining us now is finance reporter at the New York Times, Stacey Cowley. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. I mean, this is a long time coming, isn't it? How big of a deal is this? I mean, I haven't seen this in my lifetime. <laughs> it's pretty gigantic. I mean, this means that 20 million people are going to have their student loan debts entirely canceled under this proposal, under this plan, and another 20 million or so will be able to see their balances reduced. So yeah, anything that affects 40 million people is pretty sweeping. Now, do we know what made him cap it at this amount? Like, why not just cancel it all? That's been my main thing. I don't know how... Asking for a lot, Char. No, I'm no mathematician, (laughs) but like, why cap at the 10K? Do you... That was certainly a lot of progressives in the party wanted to see the president go a lot further. And honestly, even this was a big movement for him. I mean, on the campaign trail, he was pretty consistently opposed to this idea of doing anything more than 10K for anyone. So seeing this Pell Grant piece that came into it today, where people who who are Pell Grant recipients will get $20,000 canceled, that was a big move for the president compared to where he started on this issue. Mm. Okay, so with that, what are people saying? I mean, Republicans, and I think a lot of people who are against this say, oh, you know, we had to pay for this. We didn't have this. So why should we be giving this to others who need it? 
That has certainly been a talking point today. The Republicans have generally described this as a give out to wealthy, well-off college graduates. Uh, one point that gets made in counter to that pretty frequently is, look, let's not forget that not everyone who has college debt actually graduated. One major piece of this is that by eliminating $10,000 in debt, that's going to knock off a lot of people who were carrying small amounts of debt from college degrees they never finished. Mm. Those people were often left in the worst of both worlds. They had the debt and not the earning power of the degree. So that's been the progressive counterpoint is that this is going to help an enormous number of low-income workers and people who truly are in need. Yeah, and even people who graduated don't have access to daddy's nepotism conservatives to get a job. There's tons of people with degrees who are, you know, checking out groceries at Target because they can't get a job. I'm interested in knowing... I'm interested in knowing what else could possibly come from this, because I know that like in 20 years, aren't there supposed to be some sort of fiscal, you know, cancellations as far as debt is concerned for Americans who hold degrees or Americans with college debt, rather? Yeah, so one of the pieces of this that I think will get more attention in coming days, it's not as sexy as the headline debt cancellation number, but it could have just as big a lasting impact. There's a proposal in here, and the Education Department has to go implement this, but the president wants them to start capping repayments for people with undergraduate debt only at 5% of their monthly income. That's currently half of the amount that people currently owe. Right now, that program requires you to pay 10% of your income towards your student loans. That would be a really major change. Yeah, and what what could happen? Like, uh, how could that actually happen? (laughs) Is that going to happen? Well, the education department needs to go write rules, but they're under orders by the president to do it, and they can do that unilaterally. So that seems pretty likely to happen from here. And that proposal also calls for that 20-year thing you mentioned. If you participate in that income-driven repayment and you make your payments for 20 years, under the existing rules, your debt gets entirely eliminated at that point. So (laughs) this is going to allow people to make smaller payments for those 20 years and still have their debt entirely eliminated at the end. Oh, my goodness. So when will we see all of this begin to take action? Uh, There's a lot of logistics here to come. They have said that the application for this debt cancellation will be out before the end of the year. That's a pretty critical deadline because the president also said today that student loan payments will start back up again in January. So they're under pressure to get all the pieces of this ready to roll before that happens. Okay. well, that was finance reporter at The New York Times, Stacey Kelly. Thank you so much. Thank you. And by the way, uh, I'm sure you could check this in other places, but we did find on CNBC, there's a middle-class calculator. That's what they're yeah. calling it. It doesn't tell you how much you get back, but will tell you if you're considered middle-class and if you're eligible. And there's also been people with advanced degrees waiting to get their break at this. You know, they're like, Where, when can mm, we get yeah. you know a break on student loans, you know? Yeah, a lot of different discussions happening right now. But by the way, on the ones with the Republican talking point, the other people are like, well, what about all your people getting PPP money? Yeah, but, you know, and they I mean, like back. I said, a lot of people don't have access to daddy's nepotism. Yeah. Like Republicans really can't complain about this. But um, coming up, experiencing brain fog, COVID could be to blame. I mean, surprise, surprise there. We're going to dive into that next. Life in general. Yes. <laughs> Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A new study finds that unlike anxiety and depression, conditions including like brain fog, dementia and psychosis are more likely to affect you COVID-related, you know, two years on. Mm. Here to help us break this all down is Dr. Peter Chin Hong, who's a professor of medicine and infectious disease specialist at UCSF School of Medicine. Hi, Dr. Peter. Hi, Shara. Hi, Shira. Hey. 
So please walk me through the things that this study has like covered, because I'm someone who's still very much concerned about long term effects of COVID. People are still out here catching it, you know, as if it doesn't even matter anymore. And we don't know what what may lay ahead for us. Yeah, definitely. So these investigators from the UK, they're from Oxford. They looked at a really large group of people, about a million people over two years. And there's good news and bad news. The good news is that in within two months, uh, most of the mental illness, anxiety, depression uh, goes away. But the bad news is that some of the long-term complications like dementia, epilepsy, psychosis, and brain fog uh, continue on in some people, particularly if you're older than 65. The magnitude isn't huge, but even if you think about a 1% increase over the general population, and you think that uh, 100 million people got infected in the U.S. with COVID, that leaves, you know, potentially millions of people at risk just in our country alone. Yeah. Wow. How do you know if you're having brain fog where it's as like this bad? It's not just regular brain fog. And I feel like people forget words sometimes or you're forgetful or I don't know. Like, how do you know if, if it's something to be looked at in a serious way? Yeah, so brain fog isn't a medical term. That's why it's so hard to pin down. Um, it's usually used by people when they describe feeling sluggish, fuzzy, not sharp, uh, hard to concentrate and to, to think, really. Um, and that, that really is that idea of brain fog. And it really was brought up by people who were infected with COVID uh, even two years ago. And um, uh, the people, the patients were themselves the first people to bring it to attention and um you know other people might call it cognitive challenges it's very very fuzzy and hard to pin down and that's the reason why it's it's so you know uh hidden or under the radar now will we see different symptoms you know long term possibly as we've seen like different variants roll out like will there be only symptoms associated with maybe delta or if you had omicron or if you had alpha that's a great question. We think that, uh, well, there was a really good study a few months ago that really resonated with me, and it says that there are four things that predict more chronic symptoms with COVID. The first is, um, you know, reactivation of other viruses like Epstein-Barr. The second is if you have diabetes, which might also relate to other chronic medical conditions. The third is um, having other uh, antibodies that your body develops that sort of fight healthy tissue. And the fourth, which is the most relevant risk factor to your question, is the amount of virus you have in your blood. So we know that the older variants like Alpha and Delta and the original, it's more likely to cause, um, you know, lung disease, bad stuff in your bodies um, because it gets into the bloodstream. So with the Omicron variants, and some studies suggest it, it seems to get into the bloodstream generally less uh, in people. So we would expect uh, fewer of these chronic symptoms over time, particularly if you're vaccinated. And even if you take Paxlovid, uh, it will kick those viruses out of your bloodstream. Okay, that's good. But going back to the brain fog, is there a certain amount of time stays or does it go away? Or like, what do you do if you find yourself in this situation? Yeah, so, um, you know, the good news is most people's brain fog, even though I mentioned that some people have symptoms that linger more than two years, kind of dissipate. Um, it doesn't dissipate overnight, but if you get it, you know, within a year, uh, majority of people would get better um, and would start to 
think more clearly. There are a few things that people can do if they have it. One, the first most important thing is tell your healthcare professional about it. Don't suffer in silence. Um, the other things might be uh, eating a healthy diet, uh, just things to help uh, in thinking a Mediterranean meal with, with more fruits and vegetables, olive oil, avoiding alcohol and drugs, sleeping well. Sleep is really, really crucial. Participating in social activities and, and other other uh, activities that stimulate your brain, like listening to music, practicing mindfulness, and keeping a positive mental attitude. I'm interested in knowing, uh, as far as this study is concerned, was it documented with, like, self-diagnosed people or people who had an actual doctor slip, you know, because as you mentioned, brain fog is something that's so medically subjective. So is it like, oh, I'm submitting myself to this story because I forgot my pin number at Trader Joe's, which actually really happened to me on Sunday. (laughs) Or is this something that comes, like I said, with an actual, you know, with with the medical community supporting it? Yeah, so that's a great question. So in the study, it's not telling us the whole truth per se it's just really nudging the community to really look at this more seriously but you're right there there are probably problems with this study because they looked at a large number of medical records they compared people who had covid to people who had other non-covid lung diseases or respiratory diseases and that's how they came up with the numbers so um you know it, it does mean that somebody has had to have gone to a medical system to sort of like Say that they had these problems with mm-hmm. thinking, or but some of the diagnoses they used were medical diagnoses like dementia and seizures and psychosis. I mean, those are things that people probably would definitely go to the medical system for. But you're right; something like brain fog is probably going to be more common um, than would meet the eye because not everybody would go to the healthcare system to say, "Hey, I have problems thinking." All right. Well, we're definitely going to keep an eye on this. Thank you so much, Dr. Peter Chin Hong, Professor of Medicine and Infectious Diseases Specialist at UCSF School of Medicine. Thanks so much. Thank Thank you. you. Yeah. Well, coming up, California just passed a bill banning this unexpected thing in court. Hmm. We're going to debate whether this actually makes sense next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, the California Senate has passed a bill limiting the use of rap lyrics in court. And this is actually the first of its kind to become law in the U.S. And it was interesting because I was reading about this. I was like, wow, I didn't realize how big of an issue it is. But oh, obviously, yeah, as you it can happens Im- all the time. Yeah, imagine there are a lot of uh, there are rappers who are brought in for different things, whether it be connected to their music or not. And then they use their lyrics as evidence mm-hmm. to find them guilty, even though it's completely out of context. Well, in fairness, some of them do rap their truths. Well, okay, yes, some, that is true. Some of, them that are is dumb, true. some of them are dumb enough to put it on 16 <laughs> bars on wax. Others yeah. are just, you know, it's that's part of the actual, public facade. And then it comes back to shoot them in the foot. No pun intended. True. Uh, you know, yeah, I guess it could be considered like a journal, right? In yeah, a way, but, them, but in public. But yet there are a lot of people that will rap just about things because they're an artist out yes. of expression mm-hmm. and it gets used against them. And this is actually put really into the national spotlight earlier this year when rap lyrics were used as part of an alleged evidence in a grand jury indictment in Fulton County, Georgia, that led to the arrest of hip hop stars Young Thug and Ghana on gang related charges. Yeah. So 
I just wonder if this ha- is happening in California, if it will happen in other places. I'm sure California is a bit more of the progressive ones in this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that case is some- something that I've had my eye on because it's so fascinating to me. Oh, because, really? Oh, yeah. The hammer came down swift and quick, seemingly out of nowhere. It's just like you woke up one morning to this headline. I think it was like it, somewhere between 17 and 22 rappers that were arrested um, and all like linked to each they other. went all out. Yeah. So it, it, it is. This has been a discussion of debate, you know, intracommunally for years now because they, they are not the first example or the first case of, you know, prosecuting attorneys or law enforcement doing something like this. Definitely. And actually, on a federal level, there are a two representatives, Hank Johnson out of Georgia and Jamal Bowman out of New York, who are trying to push through the Restoring Artistic Protection Act, the RAP Act, happens, you can pronounce it as RAP, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they want to amend the federal rules of evidence to limit the admissibility of a defendant's creative artistic expression in a criminal proceeding according to the text of the bill. So this is something that is definitely top of mind on the political Listen, side and also on the entertainment music side. I'm not trying to make anyone work any harder, but I don't think that you should use y- your lyrics in there. I feel like if you're going to get, you know, formidable evidence, then it's your job to go out there and get the formidable evidence if you find if you think this person is guilty. It's a bit lazy to listen to track four on their sophomore album and be like, oh, they rapped about this. Let's take it to the courthouse. Well, we all know that we listen to songs differently uh, now that we know certain things that certain people have done. Right, like you know, Ooh, when you listen to Michael, tell. like Michael Jackson songs, yeah. or what's his name with the all the women, unfortunately. The oh, I don't girls. listen to R. Kelly's music. R. Kelly's music. People now we still... look back and we say, oh, that has a different. Oh, meaning. people still listen to R. Kelly's music, and you can so tell, like he has songs called "Seems Like You're Ready." Yeah, <clears throat> and people will still listen to that, you know. And age anyway. ain't nothing but a number, all of that stuff. So. Yeah, but you know, even ignition. Whitney Cummings is on Netflix. You know. You know what to hell with Whitney Cummings. I don't even want to have to yeah, go into you that. you brought her into this. <laughs> well, anyway, something we thought was just interesting to bring up today, and I'm sure will be brought up more and more across the nation. Next up, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene got pranked last night. <laughs> what actually happened on What's Trending This Hour next? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Yes, welcome back. It's Shira. Ryan is out and Shar is hanging out with me this week. Yes, hump day, middle of the week. It is. And how, how does it feel in the middle of the week for you? You know, it feels fine. I'm, I'm excited to get off work today only because I finally get to sit down and breathe. I've been moving a mile yeah. a minute for the past two days. It's important. Breathe. I've been working here, doing carpets, junkets. 
Yeah. I've been all over the place reading books for research purposes. People sending me books. I got two books waiting on me when I get home that people have sent me to, you know, to read. I'm I'm of that caliber now. People send yeah. me their books. I have everyone, all my friends who have books. I have their books. Doesn't mean I read all. I'm but. I'm waiting for someone to ask me to offer a blurb because mm. I can be a blurb girl yeah. on the back of your book. Totally. That hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I've been manifest. Well, coming up, how does spirituality impact your voting habits? That's Well, let's ask evangelicals. That's in 15 minutes. Plus, Kim Kardashian's uh, dating news. You know, it's a good day when we get to get distracted by Kim Kardashian dating. All right, let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. Virginia school districts uh, require all teachers to compete, sorry, complete training program that says that children of all ages, including preschool, can request to be addressed by different names and pronouns without their parents' permission. The training program called Supporting Gender Expansive and Trans Youth was held on July 22nd for teachers in all grades. It contained several slides that promoted equity in schools and explained how to respond to students who express a desire to be addressed by a new name or by pronouns that is not their biological sex. So this is great. Good job, Virginia. Yeah, of all places. Exactly. Moving on to Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, who claims she was swatted around 1 a.m. this morning. Here she is discussing the event. Someone had called in to the 911 call center here in Rome, Georgia, and had reported that that someone had shot either, my, they said, either her husband or her boyfriend five times in the chest in a bathtub. But then they called back a second time and said, there's children in the home. I said, you know, they said, yeah, we, we realize what's happened is you've been swatted. And they were upset. And I was very upset. I could not believe someone would do that. And I was shocked because they put, not only did they put my life and my family's life in danger, they also put the police officers' lives in danger. Yeah, sweating is not good. No matter what you think of I, green, it's not, it's not a good I thing. I find this highly comical. Uh, even though it's a waste of resources, we never want to do yeah. things like this and, yeah. and distract away from real emergencies taking place. But in the name of her being the one of the biggest thorns in my political side right now, I can't. I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't laugh because I did. I did. I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure she just, wants me exterminated so I can laugh at, at, at her being squatted. Okay, Let, uh, squatted, keep it squatted. Whatever. <laughs> All right, that was what's trending this hour. <laughs> what's happening in entertainment news? Kim Kardashian is allegedly getting ready to dive back in the skim dating pool. Oh. That's right. A few weeks after the news broke that Kim and Pete Davidson have called it quits on their romance. You all know that there's always a source. There's always a source. A source mm. is exclusively telling E! News that Kim is ready to get back to dating again. Now, no one, of course, knows who she'll be, you know, with. But Kim is only in her early 40s. And according to the source, Kim has expressed that she's ready to get back out there. But it has to be the right person who understands her life. Makes sense. Listen, here's my thing. I want Kim to find happiness. I want all parties involved to find happiness. But it's just like... Okay, we are, we know that Kim Kardashian is not going to be a single girl. She's someone who's looked up to Liz Taylor openly, and Liz Taylor's been married like eight times. God rest her soul. So we'll she's see. like the the new Liz Taylor that we were saying. Well, that Kim has openly looked up to Liz Taylor, oh. and Kim has what? She's been married what three times now? Yeah. Yeah, she was married to a guy named Damon, then Chris Humphreys, then Kanye. Mm-hmm. So I guess she's got a few more rounds to go. But you know, we'll see what happens. I'm sure we'll see on season three. 
of right. Hulu Keeping presents. Keeping it to themselves so they can create it as, as ratings for themselves. the Kardashians because you know Pete is going to be all involved in season two, which premieres September 21st. Oh, thank God. I need, yeah. I need a I nice need a break, too. Break. Also, right. I'm so annoyed because they're saying that Kim brought back the side part. It's trending on Twitter. That makes me roll my eyes. I'm down for that because I do side parts. Okay, next but Kim up. didn't bring it back because it never went anywhere. But that's uh, the tea report for this hour. You want to stick around because next hour, find out what Stranger Things star is also moonlighting as a life guard cute yeah. all right well next up could your spirituality be linked to your political behavior what a new study reveals after this let's go there with shira and ryan channel q well it seems like fewer americans identify with formal religions gallup found that 47 percent of americans reported church membership uh, in 2020 down from 70 percent in the 1990s and other practices that are more spiritual are on the rise like meditation and yoga so how does that influence our voting? Well, joining us right now is Evan Stewart, Assistant Professor of Sociology at the University of Massachusetts in Boston. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, so you all worked on this, um, and you wanted to compare two groups of spiritual and religious Americans, how they vote, volunteer, get involved in their communities. What did you assume, and what did you discover? So we've known for a long time as researchers that religious institutions like churches, synagogues, mosques, they've long been places where people do political organizing, they do volunteering, they do community engagement, people get together in them. Um, but what was less clear um, is whether or not people who are doing these spiritual practices would be engaged in their community in the same way. Um, I'd like to assume that's the case. I think many of us would like to assume that's the case. But many researchers think that, you know, these kind of spiritual practices are more sort of focused on personal development, more sort of focused on personal growth, and might encourage people to disengage from their communities. Um, but the great part about our discovery is we found that that's not really true. We found that spiritual practitioners were just as likely to be engaged in politics and in public life as religious practitioners. Now, as far as like political leanings are concerned, did you find that uh, where more spiritual people leaned towards maybe the left or more religious people lean towards the right? And I ask this because, you know, in my community, I'm a black woman. It's typically said that if the Republican Party weren't so racist, that a lot more black people would be conservative because that's typically how people navigate socially in the black community. So did you find like as far as sexuality or gender or race and like I said, religion versus spirituality, did people lean towards more more so towards one party than the other or what did that look like? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, we did find really important differences, um, I think. We found that People who responded to the survey we analyzed told us about their religious practices, so how often they go to church, how often they pray, and they told us about their spiritual practices, how often they practice yoga, how often they meditate. Um, and we found that there were political differences. So people who were more strong Republicans reported on average higher religious practice, mm. and people who were stronger Democrats tended to report higher spiritual practices. Now, it's interesting you mentioned race. Um, Compared to white respondents in the survey we examined, black respondents reported both higher religious practice and higher spiritual practice mm. than white respondents. 
We also found some effects for gender. Uh, Women reported higher spiritual practices than men. And we found some interesting results for the LGBT community. Uh, Lesbian, gay, and bisexual respondents uh, reported significantly higher spiritual practices on average than heterosexual identified respondents. So interesting. Mm. I find that fascinating because I do find a lot of the conspiracy theories and the rebellion against uh, politicians or government or voting does come from people who are religious but also the spiritual folks, right? Like they don't want to live in a box. Did you find anything around that? Yeah, we did find that there, this feeling of not wanting to live in a box, I think does describe some of our respondents' experiences. One of the things we see in these demographic patterns is a lot of the things that associate with more frequent spiritual practice are also things that we know associate with religious disaffiliation. So we call this substituting spirituality. One of the ways we explain this is to say that these are folks who still engage in meaningful practices in their lives, still engage in activities that help them feel connected to others and community. But we think that these folks are much more likely to call those practices spiritual practices. One of the advantages of the survey is that it asked about each practice twice. So people could say, Perhaps I never do yoga as a religious practice, but I always do yoga as a spiritual practice. So we can capture that and we can show that there's this sort of change in labeling, even if there's not necessarily a change in the practices. In your piece, you also address spiritually selfish uh, and religiously alienated. Can you explain to our listeners the difference? Yeah. So we use the term selfish spirituality to talk about how the research literature assumes that if people are leaving religious groups, they may be disengaging from community. So this idea um, that many scholars and commentators have written about, maybe some of us have talked about that, you know, if you go off on a spiritual journey, if you engage in more practices um, that you would call spiritual, you might be less likely to engage with the world around you, might be less likely to engage in community. Um, The great news is that we didn't find that. We found that the spiritual folks were just as involved mm. as the religious folks. And so we think that the religiously alienated portion you talk about describes these folks better, right? Folks who might feel that religious institutions or religious experiences don't really fit the way they're living their lives. Um, they may move into other forms of spiritual practice or spirituality. Um, but the great news is, is that the religiously alienated find a new label and they stay engaged with their communities. We found they were just as likely to vote, just as likely to report donating to political campaigns or protesting um, as religious practitioners. So will this inform how politicians connect with these voters moving forward? I mean, will we see a trend oh, yeah. <laughs> towards, you know, Democrats if people are getting less religious because they're becoming more spiritual? Yeah, I think so. Um, Right now, a lot of people in the Democratic Party are religiously not affiliated. Um, The numbers of the religiously unaffiliated are growing in the United States. Um, They're now about a quarter of the population, where they were about 7% of the population back in the 80s and 90s. So it's a huge growth over time. So I think Democrats are still going to have to reach out to these unaffiliated voters. But what our research shows is that they have sort of new opportunities and new avenues to reach potential voters. Um, So whereas we might still see a lot of community organization in churches, we may still see political organizing in conventional religious institutions and neighborhood communities. That doesn't have to go away. But there's new opportunities to find other institutions where people are gathering, perhaps yoga classes, Mm. perhaps meditation groups or groups of people who do things that we think about as leisure activities, but they see as 
spiritual. So folks who might make art together or be out in nature together. We found that these spiritual practices are just as associated with political engagement as well. Hey, Marianne Williamson is a pioneer. Okay. <laughs> Evan Stewart. That was, uh, who's an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Massachusetts in Boston. Thank you so much. Thank you again. Well, coming up, hate small talk. The pandemic probably made that worse. That's coming up next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, you know, Shira, Mm. there has been a... What was that? Hmm. <laughs> there has been a strong <laughs> cultural pushback against small talk in recent years. And I came across a fascinating article in which um, people are talking about the ways in which they engage and how the pandemic has really, really affected that. And I know that we've talked about this on this show quite a few times, but I wanted to specifically talk to you about it yeah. today because it seems like there's been this push socially to just cut to the chase in the name of, I don't know, maybe another lockdown might be impending or people just want to get it out of the way. How do you feel about small talk? Because I know myself, I think what kind of killed it was all of the emails in the pandemic where people are like, I hope this email finds you well and all of that stuff. You know, here's the thing. I think you just need to accept small talk. I think like we get frustrated because we, you know, I think on one hand, like I don't always want to have a deep discussion. I don't always need to like go intense and like go deep. Like sometimes we just need to get to the point and get going with whatever we're doing. Right. I think it's more about being sincere and authentic with how you talk to people. You could actually be really simple and straightforward and not like have an intense, long conversation. And it still could be very lovely. I think people, I totally agree. But I also think people are inherently a bit more curious. I was reading a study um, from the Emily Post Institute, and they've provided resources on etiquette over the past 76 years. And their co-president, Lizzie Post, uh, basically was just saying like the pandemic, you know, has made people inherently a bit more curious. And I think also it has to do with personality and also... You know, you're for the small talk. I am in certain regards. I don't like it when, like, if a guy asks for my number. Like, if it comes to, like, dating, don't just talk in circles with asking me, you know, good morning, well, beautiful. Well, that's the thing, because that's not, it feels cheesy and insincere. Like, yeah, there's so, no incentive. Exactly. Like, if you say, if, if, if someone just goes to you, like, oh, how are you feeling today? And you're like, do you really care? Yeah, that's annoying small talk. Yeah. But if someone goes to you, like, oh, yeah, how are you actually feeling today? Are you good? Like, is there anything you need? And you're like, wow, like that won't maybe think- lead to like a huge conversation. That could be considered even small talk. It can. I still think it boils down to personality, whether you're yeah. introverted, extroverted. Some people are great at small talk. That's I'm tr- pretty good oh, at it. Some people some are really people good. suck at it. Some he- people like freeze up, lock up when it comes to small talk. I Producer Shelby was pointing at herself. <laughs> thing is with me is... I could be the best at it and sometimes not good at it, depending on how I feel, how much sleep I get, where I'm at, my vibes. Either I could totally do it and I'm like out of nowhere, like having the best conversation and I'm like, how am I doing this? Oh my God, I'm so good at this. Yeah, I'm in my flow. Or sometimes I'm in a conversation and I start getting anxiety of like, I don't know if I can continue doing this. I gotta say. I'm like dying. I gotta say, there's someone that works here, not at Channel Q, but of the station. And our small talk is fine. It's just rhythmically it's off so yeah. it always makes it awkward it's that, like i'm laughing it's like what'd you say like it's yeah like, no but that goes back like, to sometimes chemistry like right? the rhythm like, is so off totally. with our small talk every single time it never fails with him <laughs> you know what sometimes that happens with me if i'm anxious or nervous or i'm overthinking 
I think I'm very relaxed. I might make him nervous. Hey, maybe. Because it just, it's a whole bunch of toe stepping and awkward laughs. And it's like, you can't hear what I'm saying because you're giggling. And it's like, you're asking me to repeat, but then it's like, it's not, it's not worth repeating. (laughs) Like, so I think this does all boil down to small talk, but I could see how the lockdown and the pandemic could inherently make people more curious because I mean, I want to know too. stop giving me the surface. And like I said, when I thought about this as a, as on a personal level, it's those emails that I got in lock. Like, I hope this finds you well and all of that, you know, all that, Stuff, I like, appreciate it. I would say like, what's up? Hey, not instead of like, hey, so blah, blah, blah. Here's what I need from you. You know, right. I try to do that a bit. But sometimes like I do find myself getting to the point and I realize looking back like, oh, that sounded like a bit too impersonal. Well, no, and... I always appreciate a greeting. If you have a greeting to me, that's make or break. Don't just enter my text messages or my email with demands and questions. I need a good morning, Shar, or at least a good afternoon. You don't have to ask me how I'm doing, but I need a some sort of, sort of formal greeting. And some of you all may call me old school for that but that's what I need don't just come asking me and demanding stuff I'm a hey exclamation point person or at at the end wait no that's what I do but I do that here for hey what's up but you You gotta use people's names that feels more personable hey and and then an exclamation mark is so generic and surface well you know what when I'm on the toilet and I'm just writing (laughs) I'm not the overthinking I'm just but I do say my ending is usually thanks exclamation point or I go with or I say with gratitude and you know you probably (laughs) abuse exclamation marks you're the you're the person i roll I my eyes too at. much i do the lols too all right you're the person well, i roll my eyes at in ne- my messages next up how long will you live it could depend on your state more next let's go there with shira and ryan channel q well we have some news around u.s life expectancy and guess what it fell in all states in 2020. That's not surprising because of COVID, unfortunately. And I mean, aside from COVID, just general life stressors and people turning to substances. There's all different types of things. Yeah. The life expectancy at birth for the entire U.S. fell from 78.8 years in 2019 to 77 in 2020. In 2020, life expectancy was 74.2 years for males, 79.9 years for women. Women always outlive men. New York had the largest change in life expectancy among all states. And D.C. plummeted by three years to 77.7. What is D.C.? Well, guess what uh, state is the best place to live and you live longest? Which one? Nebraska? (laughs) No. South Dakota? No, no. Hawaii had the smallest drop of 0.2 to 80.7 years, which was the highest life expectancy in the country. So I guess we all need to move to Hawaii, but no one wants us there. Don't encourage that, because I was about to say, them locals do not want us there. Y'all don't be going to Hawaii invading their land, okay? Now, what I will say is that this kind of makes sense when I really sat back and thought about it, because, like... The diet there, what I will say, because I did visit Hawaii within recent years, I have this thing where they they have beige plates. I call it beige plates because there's no like it's it's it is not unusual to get a lunch special where it's protein, rice and macaroni salad. Like there's no vegetable. There's no green anywhere. And I don't believe I don't like beige plates. I need some sort of wait in Hawaii. Yeah. Oh, 
Do if you got a lunch special, it's traditional there. You'll get protein, rice, and macaroni um, salad. Yeah, because it's very well. That's very Asian inspired, and then also fit a lot of seafood. Well, so. even I was about to say, even aside from their like their diet, they have you know like the fresh poke and things like that. Oh. So that makes sense. And then they have the sun and pork is very big there. Yes, also. they do have a lot of pork. Yeah, I'm getting well. Not I hungry think for about, pork. I'm just hungry. When I think about like the sun and you know and the diet, it kind of makes sense. Going to the water, you know, a, a physical activities like that. Also, very family oriented, community yes. oriented. That's all really important. Yeah. Well, so unfortunately, we can't live there necessarily because uh, no. they're having major issues with too there. many people traveling there. And not only just traveling there, but also disrespecting their land and mm. abusing it. It's not about tourism. It's about Americans, fellow Americans going over there and not knowing how to act and trying to claim it as their own. I want to find <laughs> the second best place for life expectancy. It's not in this article. I don't know well, you know, I think the worst, if I'm not mistaken, according to this article, is Mississippi. <laughs> with an average of 71 years. Yeah. Okay, so I do have the number two. Which also makes sense because when I think about Mississippi and, and a lot of the diets, I remember Oprah did a show in the late two, I mean, well, the early 2000s where Mississippi statistically was the fattest state in the mm. in the union, in the United States. All right, well, trailing Hawaii, since we can't go there, if you're wondering, Washington, Minnesota, California, and Massachusetts. Callie's up there. Oh, Callie's doing really good. Oh, I'm yeah. looking at the map now. Yeah. Let me look at my home state of Illinois. Oh, 75 to 76 years. Producer Shelby, it's the same for Ohio. Well, there you go. Now you know. So, yeah. Now you know in case you want to leave where you live. You'll have a reason why. Just take care of yourself. Exactly. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, we are wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. All right. This one goes to Logan Lee, who is a traveling nurse in one of the most rural fringes of Kentucky. Ooh. And um, he has been sharing about his life and the work he's doing. It's led him to actually a memoir that he put out in 2021 called Small Town Gay Growing Up Different in the South. He offers insights into how change and tolerance takes hold across red America. But he's also doing this with his job every single day. I'd like to see like him in action, like an interview. Because, you know, there is there are ways that people adhere to discretion as a means to survival. So I think that that would also, I mean, that doesn't take away from any of the validity of his story. But I want to see, is he like neck swiveling and tongue popping gay? Or is he like I don't someone know, who sure, you'd be but... like, oh, I had no idea he was gay type thing. I, I'm not sure. Because that does sure. make a difference in the experience. Totally, okay? totally. So that's that, that's the only it, reason. It, she's not like, what's the, the show on HBO where they're going into small towns and making people uh, into drag? I, I can't drag. remember. Oh, my it's God. It's with Eureka. Eureka, HBO. All right. I got to just reference this because it's a great show. We're here. Yes, we're here. Very I was good. about to say yeah. Queer Eye, but that's Netflix. There's so that, yeah, too. It's not that, but I, 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 like I said, I did bring that up because those experiences differ. Yeah. Well, there's a book, uh, the book that he put out. It's actually been celebrated by U.S. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg and President Biden. Biden actually wrote, I sent copies to each of them. Uh, and they both wrote back. Oh, that was what Lee said about Biden. Biden oh, wrote. Oh, he sent copies of his book to Yeah, it. Biden wrote. Oh, people can we, do that. We still have a long way to go in America, but we're going to get there. I mean, how cool is oh, that? I'm going to keep my comments to myself. <laughs> so we want to give a big shout out to Logan Lee, who continues to do the work. One, 
you know, in the healthcare system. Which yes, is not easy. which is and as um, a a queer person in rural America, where, which takes a lot of courage. Yeah, yeah, of course, especially if you know people, you know, on average are anti-vax and acting, you know foolish yep so you can again check out his memoir small town gay growing up different in the south out now go support what he's up to yes yes yes, queen there you go all right and also that does it for our show today but we are back tomorrow 2 to 6 p.m pacific 5 to 9 p.m eastern live lots coming up from what's trending this hour the tea report so much more if you miss any of our shows or interviews we post everything as a podcast just go to the odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search let's go there we are sending you love and light and i love us for real yes me and char are back tomorrow this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.